You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. And we're back here with my good friend, Christian Martinez, who I grew up with in high school. Uh, We met when we were probably 14, and felt the friendship fell off for a little while, and, uh, you know, life has a way of coming back around on you, and we have reconnected, but Christian is uh, a young entrepreneur from New York. He's uh, essentially chasing after the quote-unquote American dream. Uh, He's had quite uh, a life thus far. He spent some time in the Marines as a sniper, so Christian, first and foremost, man, welcome to the show, and I'm glad to be able to catch up and talk to you a little bit here, man. Yeah, Mike, uh, thanks for thanks for having me. It'll be good to, to catch up and talk. Now, um, first and foremost, starting off, uh, you know, before we were talking here, um, or before we hit record, essentially, we were talking a little bit about uh, what's been going on, catching up, and everything like that. Um, but first and foremost, man, one of the things that you and I have been talking about lately and you've kind of let me in on and told me what you got going on is this uh, this new eco-friendly uh, car wash business that uh, you recently just launched the website for. I'm super excited to see this thing take off, man, because it's uh, great stuff, especially in, in a political climate that where the left cares a lot about the environment, where you're seeing a real hard push for green deals and things like that. But this car wash business you started, you can wash an entire vehicle with 20 to 40 ounces of water. So talk a little bit about that and how that all kind of came to fruition, what the name is and everything like that. Right. Yeah, Mike, that's right. So we definitely came across a gym when we found this uh, chemical mixture. It's, it's, it's a fancier soap, so to say, that can wash a car for 20 to 40 ounces of water. Um, and I just, well, I could take this to market. So I approached some of my friends here in New York and talked with them about getting into a venture. Um, and they were pretty interested as well. And they heard my vision and they thought that they could help bring it to life. So I have a, a chief technology officer was helping me with the tech side of things. The chief information officer is helping me run the numbers. And our good friend Taylor Wynn, um, who is helping with the operations side, because he had a company that was pretty similar to this. Then we decided we wanted to name it something that's very unique, uh, sort of like Google or Uber. When you hear those names, you don't think of like a search engine or a rideshare company. So we went with Hugh. H-U-G-G, and uh, the U has the umlaut above it, which I believe is a German thing, Uh, but it's not a word. It actually doesn't really stand for anything. We just decided to go with that because it would be something that's unique to a car wash. Uh, But we also, we we want to offer unique services. Not only do we have a unique name, but we want to offer something that is on demand as well, uh, which is not the dominant design of a basic car wash. Typically, when you get a car wash, 
you go, you know, when you're dropping your kids off at school or maybe on your way home from work or to the grocery store, etc. So we decided to make it just as convenient for an urban dweller or somebody who's at an apartment complex where they can just schedule a wash and we'll come by and wash it uh, pretty much anywhere. As long as a person can fit between the car and the uh, other obstacle that's uh, closest to it, we'll, we'll, we'll probably be able to wash the car pretty quickly and in about 15 or 20 minutes as well. And I don't think a car wash gets much easier than that, you know? Definitely, man. And that's awesome. Um, you know, I got a buddy and, you know, one of the big selling points for you guys that you've talked about is being able to go to your consumers, go to your customers. One of, one of my buddies who plays basketball with me met him through uh, uh, one of my other friends and um, he has a similar business structure or business model with his rim repair business. It's called Nola Rim Repair. Dave, there's your plug. Don't say I never gave you anything. So that's what he does is he has people call him and he will actually go to their house, uh, to their work, wherever they need to get their rims repaired and he'll go fix them. That's what he does. And with a lot of people who, we all live busy lives. I mean, any working adult will tell you whether they have kids, whether they don't have kids, there's always things going on between work uh for someone like you who's in school as well there's always things going on so to have that kind of on-demand approach of hey we come to you i mean that's huge so not only that but again this for you personally being able to put a kind of lower your carbon footprint so to speak and help uh the environment the world in a sense by having this quote-unquote green product where it only takes 20 to 40 ounces of water to wash that is super impressive when i i remember you sent me this website for it last week and i was sitting there reading it and i'm scrolling through and you had just said hey check this out let me know if there's anything that you think i should change whatever the case may be and I remember scrolling through, just kind of reading all the fine print, looking for typos, anything like that, and I see able to do it, 20 to 40 ounces. Dude, my mind was freaking blown. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what the fuck? How do you do that? And you were telling me that the average car wash is 20 gallons, correct? Uh, It's about 38, actually, across the industry. That's... That's including the more uh, or less efficient like tunnel car washes. That's what people typically use because they have to use a lot of water to really wash all of those impurities off your car away. Um, and they also have to have a lot of water to make that soap really uh, set up really well to where it, 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 it takes that dirt off. But then after that, they have to reclaim that water and recycle it and everything like that. For us, the, the the twenty ounces of water we use plus the foam solution just it, it evaporates, so we don't have any of those uh, those situations either, uh, which is pretty great. Now, with with it evaporating, you know, talk a little bit about that. So, um, are there any drawbacks to it as far as potential marks it can leave on the car? This thing's foolproof, and you won't have to worry about that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, the chemicals that we're using, and I mean. 
that's what they are. They're, they're, they're soap-based chemicals. They uh, are designed, actually, to wash show cars that are in a showroom and can't get outside to have a quick clean. However, it's strong enough to wash really the larger impurities off of a car. So I'm saying, like, visibly apparent dirt that is on the surface of your car. It can get off a little bit of sap. Uh, it takes a little bit more time. You have to let the solution soak in. But it can also take salt off the car, which is something I know that down in New Orleans, you guys aren't really familiar with. But up here, they put down um, calcium dust, I believe it is, in order to keep snow from sticking to the ground. It helps it to melt away so that life can go on as usual up here, which is great, except that that is also highly corrosive to metal. So our wash also allows us to come in as a preventative maintenance measure, uh, especially during times of, you know, if it's been really muddy or really rainy and you haven't had a chance to get to your car, you know, that's what we can come in and, and do for you. It's, it's not only are we saving water from all of these other uh, not less efficient, you know, re, uh, sources of car washes, but we're also helping to uh, have users retain value in their car by maintaining their paint and uh, just keeping the overall look and feel at tip-top shape whenever you need it. Dude, that's awesome. So, um, you know, with with being in New York, I, I think it's great you came up with a product that could essentially help you in that big city. You know, when you first when you first were talking to me about this potential business model and this potential business setup with this car wash entity you know naturally i had a lot of questions i was just kind of firing away just asking poking holes so to speak and Mm -hmm. this is the first time i'm hearing about it being able to wash away the the salt off of the cars which is something i didn't really think about up there because with the northern climate you have to put salt on the streets essentially to combat with sliding and stuff like that so i didn't even think about that and like you said naturally being in the south who why would i think about that we don't have to deal with that here but yeah if it snows down there they just, they just shut the whole city down so right i'm pretty sure we were at satellite center together senior year when it snowed and we wound up leaving early um i'm almost positive that happened uh i actually i so, yeah, you're talking about senior of high school, right? Um, I, I, I think I was in English class because we didn't leave early. We ended up just getting up and walking out of the school, and Principal Weber came over and said, class, or to, to, hey, well, hey, Wildcats, I didn't say class. He said, hey, Wildcats, uh, I see that people are getting up and leaving class. We'll give you a 30-minute uh, a break to go and enjoy the snow. And... Of course, you know, southern as the southern Louisianians as we are, we're all out there in shorts and, like, thin sweatshirts, <laughs> and our hands were super fucking numb. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was actually at Satellite Center. Did, didn't you have Satellite Center in the morning, uh, at least for one semester? Uh, yeah, so I, I was in the uh, physics and engineering program there. Okay, okay. So, because I remember senior year, you and I rode to school together. Uh, you always caught a ride with me, but I was actually at Satellite Center when all that was going down, and I just remember thinking to myself, well, it's snowing. I need to get across the bridge. I'm leaving school, 
and at Satellite Center for all of us because we're we're off our school campus, so to speak. Basically, what they told us was, "Hey, have your parents call in, and then you can leave." So I instantly get on the get on my phone with my mom, and I told her, "I said, hey, call the school right now so I can leave," and gave her the number. That was that. I had my happy ass and into my car, head home, and Melissa, who I'm now married to, obviously, was also, she was at the, she was actually on Destrahan's campus, she went home, so we played in the snow pretty much all day, but one of the, one of the funny things that I think everyone did at that time, because I remember hearing so many of our friends talk about this, I get to my car, and the snow is stuck to the window again oh, yeah. we're we're south louisiana we don't know what to do in these situations i start rolling down the window and then it all just comes pouring in i'm thinking oh it'll just fall out to the other side but no i get drenched and i'm sitting there cold seat ice in my lap and freezing my ass off the whole way home reminds me of uh, ricky bobby not knowing what to do with your hands you know <laughs> exactly but um no man so that's really great uh what you got going on with the car wash business is there is there anything you want to add in one more time what was that company name again it's hug uh h it's spelled h-u-g-g people are probably going to call it hug until they figure out how to actually say it but um i'm okay with that you know i'd rather them oh it's it's like hug but it's i'd rather them remember the name and just to think, oh, it's another car wash, right? Uh, but yeah, if I can add anything, the, our website is hugscience.com, H-U-G-G, science.com. So go ahead and check it out. Currently, we're only running a beta test in Austin. I know we've been talking about New York, but Austin, I mean, I know you've seen Joe Rogan stand up. He had a point when he said, Texas has like four rules in their law book, right? <laughs> so it's it's a little bit easier to do business down there, but New York is our target market and we want to come here and do it right. We want to have the money to get all the permits and everything and do everything by the books so that when we put this product in front of our customers, it it actually makes them happy because everyone hates when they try something new and it's just more of a hassle than just doing what you were doing before. And that's what we really don't want to do. So please check us out. And with Taylor, uh, our mutual friend who you had mentioned, he he's living in Austin right now, so he's kind of the one that's carrying all this out for you guys right now, essentially. And you talked about a similar business he was in, so he got into uh, a window washing franchise with his dad and brother. So I, I think it's great that you have the experience of someone who's done something similar, and especially in a friend like Taylor who you know – I mean, dude, you and I have both known Taylor for a long freaking time. And if there's something to be said about that guy, loyal to a fault. Yeah, he's good. He's a really good guy. I I really appreciate, you know, all the work he's done. I mean, I remember I I pitched this to him in about an hour-long phone conversation. Before it was over, he was like, can I come, can I get on board? Can I help you? And I was like, absolutely. It's like, by the way, we're not really taking clients that we're still trying to build out the product and the offer and everything he's like all right that's cool he calls me the next day and he's like hey by the way the apartment complex i manage 
really wants us to, you know, be a part of this and they want to help us grow so that we can move into the market. So, uh, I mean, the guy, I didn't even ask him to do this and he just, he just went ahead and pitched it already to his boss and, you know, I'm so happy to have him on my team. Well, it's crazy how you have connections you make along the way in life, whether it be high school, whether it be college, whether it be in other workforces after school is essentially finished. But you you meet you meet people throughout your life, and you never know at what point that. And this is this sounds bad. As I'm just not sure how to word this correctly. But you never know when you're going to be able to use them. Or I think a better term is, you know, you two utilizing each other, so to speak. And you know, for him, he gets this job in Austin, and essentially he can he can use the the market he's currently in to help jumpstart the product i mean that's that's huge because now you know you can work out the kinks and another huge benefit that i guess i'm thinking about for you guys is the fact that well if a couple of things go wrong there and granted it's two pretty big cities but it won't be the same as you messing up if you want to hit this in new york right away you know you at least have distance and time spread out through those two cities now granted of course you have the online age where you know if something does go wrong people can go online but i don't think it'll have the same impact being in a completely different city but i know you guys aren't going to mess up anyway but just thinking out loud (laughs) no i mean we definitely are going to mess up i mean anything you do the first time and this is our first real venture together uh, anything you do the first time, you, you expect to fail at least a little bit. But no, I, I appreciate the words of comfort. You know, like we definitely aren't aiming to fail. Um, and Austin, yeah, it's it's a great environment. Uh, we have pretty much the perfect market to kind of cater to because Austin's a good startup town, uh, and we're right next to UT Austin. So we're going to target the apartment complexes sort of as an amenity offering and then also go to the tailgates once the football season starts really kicking up and marketing there and uh, giving, you know, free washes or a few discounted washes there sort of as a, uh, a, a trade show, so to say, but at the, at, the, at the football game. And if we get big enough, we want to actually have deals like, oh, go to the game, park in these areas and you know, we'll wash you for a flat rate or something like that. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. And Austin, that you know, you mentioned that it's a great place to start up. Austin's such a progressive city. I, I haven't been there. It's by far one of the one of the top cities on my list of places to go in the U.S. But mm-hmm. based on everything I've heard about it, man, it's just. It's fantastic, and it's a lot of young, young business owners going out out there because it is so progressive. People are willing to to take a chance on something new, which I think is awesome. Especially when you think about the fact it's in Texas and it's a very progressive place. The, those two don't really coincide with one another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying, but. Um, the fact that they don't have many, like, like I said, the four rule book joke, uh, 
yeah, I mean that that's a, that's its own way of being progressive. But yeah, I, I see, I understand what you're saying, and I agree. Now, for you personally, so going away from going away from the business, now you so right after right after high school, you had joined the Marines, correct? Yes. So take us through that process. You know, you. After high school, a lot of people. I was just talking about this on the last podcast with my buddy Andrew, and we were talking about how so many people of our generation kind of wasted their their money on college, so to speak, because that's what our parents or guardians told us. That's what they beat in our heads from a young age. You need to go to college. You need to get a degree. And now a lot of us are paying for that degree, literally paying an arm and a leg for it. And a lot of us are carrying a lot of debt around because of our degrees. And a lot of us aren't using our degrees. So for you, you decided to take a different path, a path that plenty of other people go. And you decided to join the Marines. So take us through that process. Yeah. So to preface the story, I actually did not ever want to join the Marine Corps. Uh, prior to joining, uh, it graduated from Destrehan and uh, we graduated together. Um, that was an interesting time for me because, yeah, I was taking the advanced engineering and physics course. Uh, I was taking a lot of high level maths and stuff like that. But I also didn't really do well in history. In fact, I failed two of my history classes. Well, both of them were honors classes, actually. And, um, uh, and I also failed my honors geometry class. But then when I took them in, you know, the regular ed, I got 99s and hundreds in those classes. But it wasn't the fact that it was different material or that it was any easier. It was just that I felt like applying myself. And I think that's a really important point. And it's going to I want to hit on that point as I, as I go through the story. But when it came time to apply for colleges, you know, you were going to Nichols, um, or you went to Nichols right after you graduated, correct? Yes. Yeah, I did all yeah, yeah. All, all five years there, including the victory lap. Okay, great. Yeah, so you were going to Nichols. I remember uh, Alex was going to UL. Mm-hmm. Um, a few friends going everywhere. I wanted to go to LSU because I wanted to be in that engineering program. But big problem, I only had a 2.8 when I graduated. So what I did was I researched as much as I could, and I got the – was it? Louisiana Top Scholarship mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't know if they still have that, but um, I ended up getting my hands on about 2300 bucks from the state. And mind you, this was right after the recession or right during the recession. Yeah, so there absolutely. wasn't a lot of money to go around. Um, and so all I could get into was Baton Rouge Community College. And, you know, I was actually pretty grateful. I moved to Baton Rouge. I was living with... Uh, our four friends, you remember Tyler, Mark, and Brennan, you remember them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was living with them. They were all in LSU. I was driving to BRCC because I talked to some of the counselors and they said, you can transfer into LSU if you do a couple years here. First semester, I was working three jobs and I still was only coming back with about 50 bucks in my pocket. And I wasn't doing really well in school because to me it was a little too easy. Like we were going over like pre-algebra in my community college classes and I just was not engaged at all. And I want to say about 
two and a half months into the semester, so I guess maybe a little about halfway through, I broke the rule of missing class more than three times. And if you have any attendance issues at that time, like your top scholarship was taken away. And I had no other way of getting money because my family also told me like, hey, we lost a bunch of cash. We can't pay for your school anymore. And I knew in the back of my mind, like the point you brought up, debt was something I didn't want to take on. Um, so as the pothead I, as I was back then, uh, <laughs> I decided to, you know, I woke up that Wednesday, the day I, I missed my English class for the third time, uh, smoked a bowl and then was waiting for you know Tyler to come home. We're sitting there in his room after he gets back watching that movie with Mark Wahlberg, Shooter. Now everyone who's solid a Marine, movie, everyone who's a Marine hates people that join because they're like, Oh, it's still a movie and I'm going to do that. Like they, like I despise it when people say that, but that's literally what happened to me. I was like, I think I can do that. And Tyler goes, dude, I think you're just high, like chill. And I was like, no, I'll be right back. So I literally, <laughs> put my, literally put my pipe down, drove to the recruiting office and <laughs> yeah, still high. Drove to the recruiting office and sat at the table. I was like, I want to join. And the guy was like, come back when you're not high. Like, he literally could tell that I was high. I sobered up, went back the next day, and I kept going back every single day. Um, And it kind of turned into something that I didn't want to do, but it was sort of my back against the wall. But then I realized I could actually really do this. And I started enjoying it a little bit. And actually, I was so good at it because I played soccer. Um, I just, I guess, was naturally mentally resilient. You know, most of the guys that were there, there's this thing called the pulley, uh, like, uh, system that you go into. And those are the people that are awaiting to go to boot camp. Um, I typically would have had to wait about six months, maybe three months. But because of, like, how motivated I was, like, how good I was at the things I was doing and how well I tested on the test scores. I was from the moment that I saw shooter to the moment I was on the yellow footprints at Paris Island was about three and a half weeks. So I was in and out of the door and I was in the Marine Corps before wow. a month end essentially. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite crazy, but you know, I, I had persistence. I kept pushing it. I kept doing the things I needed to do and kind of trying to think outside of the box and having an open mind towards doing things that are going to help me invest in my future. Even though at the time I was like, this is it. Like it's either this or I'm homeless. So, um, yeah. And then the five years I was in was pretty crazy. You know, I, even though I said, I think I can be a sniper, becoming a sniper is very hard. In fact, I went to sniper school and I didn't pass my first time. And my second opportunity, I turned down because at that time I realized, you know, I want to get out and I don't want to waste the Marine Corps funds on a school that I'm really not going to use. Um, but I did operate for four years as a scout sniper. I went to Afghanistan. Uh, I trained guys who went to sniper school and passed. I was even uh, an assistant team leader over two school trained snipers. Uh, and I was the only person in my team that wasn't school trained, but I was equally as proficient as they were as well. So it was, 
it was quite the experience having gone from just being some pothead kid to having all of this responsibility, having to understand different sorts of physics and, you know, the physiological changes I was going through while I was working out, having to stay up for days at a time and all these other things. I mean, the Marine Corps, to me, I, I owe a lot to it, but it's definitely a love-hate relationship. Well, for a lot of people, especially our friends in the military, I, I hear the love-hate factor for a lot of them. And with you, I think it's hilarious that this all started because of the movie Shooter, which is by far one of my favorite military movies out there, even though it's not really military, but kind of. But It's not very realistic, and it's, it's probably the worst example of <laughs> being like a real Marine, well, but yes. That, well, yeah, yeah like... <laughs> Bob Lee Swagger goes in there, shoots the guy's thumb off in the end, and that's one of the big climaxes, of course. But no, it's a great movie, man, and it's uh, I, I think it's absolutely hilarious. That's that's the one that got you to join. But the the common theme I'm hearing with you is the motivation side. So for someone like me, I. You know, I heard all the time growing up, if you just applied yourself in school, you'd do a lot better, this and that. And to some degree, I I, I do agree with that. But on the other hand, there were just certain subjects that even when I applied myself, I wasn't fair at. And yeah. I, But I don't like to, at the same time, make the excuse that, well, I'm just not any good at it, but I'm also self-aware in that sense you know there's just some things i don't do well but going through school you mentioned you know you're graduating destrahan with a 2.8 i was pretty much in the same boat as you i've because of satellite center the last year it wound up bumping me up to i think a 2.5 is what i finished high school with I wound up graduating college with a better GPA. I think it was a 2.6 or a 2.7. But college was pretty much the same story for me. You know, you talked about not going to class, not meeting those three-day requirements. I finished my first semester with a 1.2. I wound up taking 12 hours my second semester. By the time the semester was over, I was taking six hours. I had dropped two courses because I couldn't afford to get less than a 2.0 because then I'd be placed on academic probation and have to sit out a semester. And at that point, I knew my parents would probably kill me. So it's crazy how there's just a light bulb that clicks for me sometimes. With you, it seemed like it was more of, okay, cool, I care right now. Let me do everything. But then there were other times where you're just like, I I'm not motivated. And for me, like I said, I, I think we have similar but different stories because, like I said, for me, it was more of always just there comes a point in time where the light bulb clicks. It may take a second to get there, but once it does, I'm good. The problem is sometimes just getting to that point. And it's funny because I'm actually later today when we record this at least – I'm going to one of my old college uh, professor's house for a podcast. Uh, this guy, Lance, really great guy. Uh, check out Nola Sum for those of you listening. Great page. But 
he uh, he invited me to come on for a full Saints preview, and I remember him telling my dad when we were hanging out at a tailgate before a Saints game. It, this was during college. I think that w- this was my final year there because this is when he and I started getting a little bit closer and developing a, f- a friendship, so to speak. And he just told my dad, yeah, I don't know what the hell he was doing for the first three years, but all of a sudden that light bulb just clicked and he was good. And that's just kind of how I've always been. But I guess for you, you know, I, oh, go I ahead. I don't think I'm much different. I don't think I'm much different. I think the, the thing for me is that I my light bulb just clicks at different times <laughs> and in different ways. But I, I feel the same way. And in terms of like the light bulb clicking, I mean, you could still call that motivation, right? I mean, like think about the context behind that. Why did the light bulb click? I know when I used to teach Marines, a lot of Marines I taught. They they barely graduated high school, had a GED, or you know had some sort of other equivalent because you have to have at least that to join. And they they they, they couldn't do any sort of quantitative analysis of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they they couldn't do anything like mathematically complex. But I remember training with them, and they uh, would come up with some extremely beautiful ideas in terms of strategic implementations of what we're going to do. Uh, for training or or in a combat environment. So my point is, is that school is, it's a very specific way of learning and teaching that doesn't really work for anybody or work for everybody. Yeah. Um, and I, I learned that because I had the opportunity to travel to Singapore and study uh, the effects of technology in emerging markets, uh, namely the cell phone in markets like Malaysia or Bali. And when I was there, uh, we were at a school called NUS, which is National University of Singapore, uh, the business school. And one of the professors there told us, you know, Singapore is really great because everyone here is taught to be the best in the box thinkers. But everyone here also really doesn't like the education system. And he's like, and Americans are really good because they are the best out of the box thinkers. If they don't because in Singapore, if you don't fit in the box, you don't really get a good job. You don't get the opportunity to do the things that you really want because they assign you. But here in America, which you're really showing this, like if you don't fit in that box, well, you know what? Fuck the box. I'm going to go make my own box because I can do that. And it's really important to have that resilience and that mental fortitude to do that because that's in itself a skill that a lot of people can't learn. So, I mean, I know that you take pride in what you're doing. I can Absolutely. tell. But – yeah, man. The, the two seven, two five, like it's a number. Absolutely, and it matters, but not for what you're doing. No, and I mean, even once you get to a certain age, it doesn't matter. I was having this conversation with, I think, my family recently. We were we were talking about getting into college, GPA requirements, honors requirements. What's better? Is it better to take honors? Is it better to not take honors? And we were talking about all these things. And then I just kind of brought in the conversation how it's ironic that none of those things matter once you get past a certain point of your life. You know, on your resume, I have where I got my degree from, what it's in, that's it. That's all people need to see or a lot of companies need to see. But kind of talking about how you go outside the box, 
one of the things I love is not just doing this podcast and having my blog, but running my own business, kind of putting my own footprint on the world. And if it fails, it fails. So the fuck what? I'll figure that part out when it comes. But that's one of the things I love and absolutely buy into about our generation. There's so many people I go on Facebook now and see they're running their own businesses at 25 to 35 years old we're we're just different hardwired than the generation before us who believe get up go to work make your money and that's it what they they live to be comfortable i'm living to create a new foundation for my life and for my family's life and if it fails like i said i'll fucking wake up the next day and figure it out i'll figure it out to that point, I mean, I don't know the exact statistic. I don't remember it, but I had to study this in one of my case studies for um, it was a it was a popular basically a population sciences course I was taking uh, my sophomore year, and it pointed out different sort of demographic trends and stuff like that in different countries. And one of the most interesting ones, especially here in America, was that our generation, the millennials, are actually projected. Uh, to have the lowest percentage of children out earn their parents, um, which is something that's a bit startling huh. to me because that's what helps our economy continue to grow and what helps to spread prosperity and keep us sort of in that maybe fantasy uh, thought of being the number one best country in the world. That's the best country to me, but you know people like to argue that. Well, of point course. being, uh, point being is that. You know, it doesn't mean that people are lazy. It just means that it can mean one of two things. It can, A, it means that millennials are lazy, or B, it means that the old systems that have been taught to us aren't really effective. So then it's up to us to make new ones. And I I think that kind of relates to your point. That's what we're trying to do. Make some new ones, make some new systems that we can pass on, new ways of thinking, because the people who have already had all of the thoughts and the people that are getting older you know, they they don't have to continually innovate. You know, the younger generations have to to make it easier and better. So yeah, you know, I I, I think that you have found a new system, or at least you're trying to. Uh, if you haven't felt like you found it yet, but yeah, I think I, I, I agree. We we need to just work towards what we're doing. Well, and I think one of the things that we do well, for the most part, I I think. There are a lot of people who, of course, you have the fake it till you make it crowd. Of course, you have the snakes in the grass who only look out for themselves. And that's something we talked about before we turn the cameras on, so to speak. But <laughs> yeah, but I think a lot of people like like me and you, I, I can think of half a dozen to a dozen other people like you who I've recently connected with because I'm sharing my business pages on social media, because I'm sharing my blog stuff on social media. And it may be old friends that you lost touch with, but essentially we see value in a friendship, whether it just be from, hey, how's everything going, to, dude, I hope this works out for you. And yeah. we're going to we're gonna look out for, for our own, essentially, and I think that's really awesome. And when I say I, our own, I don't mean the... I don't mean that in in a racial context because, for the record, 
Christian and I check two different boxes as far as demographics go. But yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that's awesome about our generation because I think there are so many more people like us out there who are willing to help others. You know, all the clients that I have for the marketing company right now, they're all people uh-huh. I do business with or created a friendship with before going into business with them. And they say, the old saying is don't do business with friends. Well, all five of the people that I'm doing business with currently are fucking fantastic. They're all awesome and they all see the value in it and there's a lot of transparency in what we do which one of the big things that I'm I'm huge on is transparency. I I want people to be honest with me always if I don't if you tell me the truth and I don't like it, I'm not going to sit here and condemn you for it because it's the truth. And kind of jumping back to an earlier part of this conversation about kind of the light bulb clicking and stuff like that. One of the things that I personally dealt with as as a kid and even growing up, and I've gotten away from it probably within the last, I really think seven to six to seven years when I really got a grasp on who I was, who I am and everything like that. I used to be very insecure and I couldn't even imagine having my own business back then just because I sucked at taking criticism. I sucked at dealing with adversity. I folded. You know, growing up playing sports, the second I didn't like it, the only reason I stuck it out is because my parents made me. And I think that kind of helped mold me into what I am now because now, dude, if something wrong or if something goes wrong, one of the things I can say about myself is I know how to take it off the chin. And I feel like you're probably similar in that regard, and so are a lot of other friends in my in my circle, so to speak. And I think that's right. the big thing that a lot of people in our generation have is they can take a fucking punch off the chin. Yeah, I mean that that's one of those things that kind of comes with time. Um, like sometimes you just have to take it off the chin because you're forced to, mm-hmm. but then. Once you realize that you know this bad event will happen, but time is going to continue. I didn't get hit by a car. I wasn't killed. I'm, you know, nothing bad has happened to me other than this pretty inconvenient situation. And it might be a very inconvenient situation. But once you realize there's still light at the end of the tunnel, regardless of how dark things are or how bad things feel for you, uh, you're resiliency just shoots through the roof you can take anything that life throws at you and yeah i mean i I was kind of the same way like when i well the marine corps had a lot of influence on the way that i think in terms of in boot camp they break us down and they completely it's sort of i don't want to use this term but it's sort of a, a bit of a strategic brainwashing they take all of our liberties and our rights and our abilities to think as an individual way and then they reward us with them one by one, but in a different way, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of like, okay, you've earned the right to be able to say the word I or me, because you now understand who you are. You now have the right to wear your uniform a certain way. You have the right to choose your own haircut. You have the right to actually go to the bathroom when you want to like things at that level. Uh, but when you do it again, because that's, 
sort of what we did as kids, right? Our parents used to potty train us and do all that. It sounds just like a toddler. It's probably like what you're doing with Finn, right? Like, you gotta... They don't know what to do, right? Little kids don't know anything. And that's kind of what the Marine Corps does again to us. They remind us that we don't really know much and that life is going to teach us the hardest lesson. So open your eyes and ears and listen to it. Uh, And everyone else that I've known that have done that, they've just been aware of their surroundings have created something i mean you're creating something my 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 roommate he is a famous uh artist from nepal he gets probably five or six million views per video um he i mean he is dedicated he works at a big financial firm here in new york but he also comes home and he plays his guitar and writes his music for hours a day and he's very open-minded to the things that could change him uh and and for the better it just it's just an important characteristic to have but it does take time to learn that yeah it's uh you gotta find what you're passionate about in life i mean that's that's the ultimate key and for a lot of people it may be money for some people it may be creating something of their own for for some people it may be family for me it's a bit of a combination of all three you know, I'm motivated by the almighty dollar. I'm motivated to help my family. How do I do that? By getting the almighty dollar. And at the same time, I want my footprint to be I created something on my own. You know, that's that would be the ultimate high for me. I've I've always I've always enjoyed the idea of creating something out of nothing. I I've always liked the idea of creating something to be successful. You know, this is this is the really most dumbed down kind of level of this this kind of thinking and mindset, I guess. But it's funny because one of my friends also owns a business with his dad. Makes fun of me all the time because if I play a video game, I I go hit up a franchise on Madden, you know? Yeah. I completely tear down the entire roster. And then Get it to where it's good. Guess what? I'm on to the next one. And he's like, can you just stick with a franchise? I'm like, no. I I got good with it. I got too good with it. Now I just want to start from scratch again. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's it's always just kind of been that mindset of me. I I like making something out of nothing. I, I like the, even if it's not me, even if it's someone else, I can always respect the idea of something out of nothing. You know, with you and... The business venture you got going on, like I said, twenty to forty ounces of fucking water to wash an entire car. Holy shit, that's cool! And you know, it's it's awesome seeing my friends take ideas like this and run with it. So, um, but I guess let's let's progress this story along. So, you know, you're living in New York now, and I visited New York. Uh, a couple of years ago for a conference. It was fun. I enjoyed going there to visit, but I can tell you this right now. Living there, holy shit, I don't know that I could handle it because I remember how overwhelmed I was getting off the subway. We get off the subway and it's fucking fashion week. It's also 9-11 weekend. Oh, yes. Shit, we might have actually gotten there on 9-11. And dude... I get off that subway and there's 
paparazzi chasing this model and uh-huh. there's just people passing me left and right and I'm just when I get in giant crowds like that my mind just starts going a mile a fucking minute and I just remember sitting there like holy shit this is what I heard about this is what the movies tried to tell me and yeah, I mean, I'm losing real. it but um but yeah man like I said when I when I got there, I just, dude, completely overwhelmed. I enjoyed visiting. I would absolutely go back, but kudos to you for for picking up and moving there, man, because I sure as hell couldn't do it. So I, I want to ask, would would you ever move? Like, do you and Melissa plan to like, make Louisiana, you know, the, the foundation for your empire? Like, what are you, what are you thinking? No, I'd, I'd definitely pick up and move. Uh, we've actually talked about it. Um, recently because some things are falling into place where it may happen uh but before i you know before anything becomes official i'm not going to give up where and uh but but it is something we've talked about and there are some scenarios where it would make sense for us to move for sure and that's what's crazy is it's not something i really ever envisioned and i was telling melissa this the other day the hardest part for me I think moving because I I live I'm raising a child in the same place I grew up. In fact, in one of the houses I grew up in, it, it's right. gonna be tough to kind of leave that behind. You know, I was thinking about it the other day passing Destrahan. I was like, shit, like it'd be cool for us to both be alumni of Destrahan. But if it doesn't happen that way, that's fine. I'm I'm more than okay with moving because this is something I actually wanted to bring up with you. Okay. I, I saw a post from someone the other day, someone we graduated with, who posted a tweet from someone else talking about how it's crazy how you move from your hometown and the people you meet along the way, they do everything they can to help you succeed, whereas most of the people from the hometown hope you fail. And I think that's interesting because I think in a lot of ways that's true. Um and I think that's one of the most important th- reasons to get out of your hometown, branch off. So um, to answer that question in less than simpler terms, like, fuck yeah, I, I hope we do get the opportunity to move because it's one I'd love to take. Yeah, you know, I, I, I hope that you do get the opportunity to uh, move. And I hope that you do get the opportunity to meet people in other places because that's such a valid point that you've made. Uh, it seems like, to me, when I go home, there's some sort of invisible barrier or something between myself and the people I went to high school with. You know, it's like there's still sort of that like clicky vibe. I don't know what that is. Like, and I'm so far away from that. So far away from that high school. Like, he did this, she did that, or something like that. And I'm not quite saying that's what it is, but. It's just something I really can't put my finger on that makes me feel like there's not the same sort of value I get from the people at home that I would just from meeting new friends out and about. I'm not talking about monetary value. I'm talking about personal value, gross value, you know, the things that make us into better people. Um, 
I mean, that's sort of what you're saying, right? Like, there's some. Do you feel that? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, like, absolutely. I was I was having this conversation the other day uh, again with my family. Here we go, round two for this. But we were we were talking about raising children and the political and religious effect that families have on their their kids. My parents were, and I'm not gonna out anybody in my family for where they stand politically. But my mom was talking about the the three of her kids, myself and my two sisters, and she says what she thinks my sisters are which i agree with what she said and then she says to me i have no idea where the fuck you stand on any of this and good because i want to keep it that way because that's telling me that what i believe and i'll go ahead and say this on record i am very much uh a democratic socialist so to speak now But I also understand there are certain intricacies that can happen when people start talking about things like free free education or when people start talking about universal health care and they want to compare the U.S. to places like Sweden, uh, Iceland, and smaller countries. Yeah, there's right. a completely different demand and completely different population size. It's not, it's not apples to apples. But that right. being said, I do have a very socialistic mindset. Um, yeah, one of my best friends, he has a very socialistic mindset. I'm very capitalistic, but it's healthy to surround yourself with people that definitely. Well, dude, this is what I tell people all the time, and I think this is going back to your question about the personal barrier. Mm-hmm. The people that stay in their hometowns tend to surround themselves with like-minded people. They don't branch off. I have friends who are die-hard Republicans. I have friends who are die-hard Democrats. I have friends who are lunatic socialists. I have friends who are um, pretty much every religious and political background you can possibly imagine. But they all have something in common. I enjoy talking to them about those things. I I love picking picking apart the arguments, and I want them to do the same to me. You know, kind of going back to the political sphere... The first time I think you and I reconnected was uh, probably two, maybe a year and a half ago. Two years to a year and a half ago. I had I, I had seen you comment on something about gun laws after one of the mass shootings that took place. And right. you were commenting back to a fellow Marine who went in there with a little bit of a hot, ignorant take on the, the subject. And... He had said something along the lines of, well, someone could do the same damage with a handgun as an AR-15, and you went in hot with, okay, well, cool, you were a former Marine, you should know about the different points of impact, and you started talking about the differences in shooting a a Glock versus an AR-15, and... You and I kind of connected on that because I remember privately messaging you on Facebook being like, dude, I recently just wrote this. I read the what you said to him, and I love it. I was like, tell me what you think on this column, and you commented back. You said, okay, well, I don't agree with this, but I do agree with this, and we had a great conversation about gun politics now, and right. I think from there, we had sort of slowly rekindled the friendship, but it's just different things like that. Uh, being able to have those conversations with people. And one of the things that I think, despite not moving from my hometown, 
mm-hmm. uh, after college that has helped me in in terms of dealing with people of different mindsets. Growing up, I went to four different schools before I I made uh, senior in high school. I started off in the public schools in St. Charles Parish for kindergarten, worked my way over to the right. private school. Then I jumped to John Curtis Private School in River Ridge. Then I went to Destrehan High School. And after yeah. that, I go to Nichols. One of the big things I told myself going to Nichols, I did random roommates every single year, mm-hmm. with the exception, I think, of my last year. And I also... Which you <laughs> right. At that point. Right. And... I made it a point to talk to people that I don't know from high school. Now, granted, I still kept in touch with a lot of my high school friends, but I wanted to branch off. I wanted to have a different group. And then same thing once I got into the workplace. I just made so many more friends. And that's one of the things I think has developed for me and has helped me is being able to just kind of talk to anybody at this point in my life. If you like me, cool. If not, well, okay, cool. That's fine too. There's other people. Right. Someone else on my street. So, so for me, I think the taste that I got from reality, so to speak, Uh by not moving away is the fact that I do have so many people who live all across the country, all across the world. And I, I love that about, I guess the circle that I have. One of the, one of the guys I talk to on a regular basis about politics He's from Australia. He has a totally different mindset than we do as Americans. And he okay. and I had many conversations in college about it. And he was one of the guys I fucking love spitballing sports and politics with because of that mindset. It was just fun. So yeah. I think once you expose yourself to the different mindsets of people or the different people across the globe, black, white, uh, American, Mexican, Australia, it doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. we're all people. We all bleed the same fucking blood. We just, right. we grow up in different, different ways and means. We grow up with different mindsets. We grow up in different money. Once you kind of expose yourself to all of those things, you, you accept it for what it is and you, you treat people with a certain amount of dignity and respect. And I think that's how you break the barrier. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, Breaking that barrier, it's it's such a little, uh, it's a soft skill, as we talk about in the business world. We talk about hard skills and soft skills. Mm -hmm. Breaking barriers is definitely one of them. It's building that rapport, but not in a way that's trying to extract some sort of value from somebody, but in a way that's supposed to open up that person and allow them to sort of breathe the same air as you. If You you get what I'm trying to say, Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I, I do have a question for you. Since you haven't had the opportunity to leave, even though you said that you want to, uh, I mean, situation dictates what you can do, and I think you're doing okay in Louisiana. I'm not saying get the hell out of there. But if you had to pick like a top five places that you would want to live or uh, you know, this place that you would like to interact with this sort of group of people for you know six months, a year, anything, where, where do you think you'd go? So – The number one place is the place that we're actually potentially looking at going to in in the somewhat near future. You can hold it to your chest. The other three you can name. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll say it. I'll go on record and say it, and it's Atlanta. Um, Oh, okay. So basically what happened was Melissa's dad got a job out there, 
And one of the big dream for the two of us is for her to not work. It's for her to be a stay-at-home mom. And if I can provide her with that opportunity, then that's when that's essentially when I've made it. That's when I've made it for myself and for us. Mm-hmm. So going to Atlanta, I think, is going to afford us that possible opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the crazy things about Louisiana versus Atlanta is the housing market. That's one of the things that really drew drew us there because she lived there for for a year uh, right Did after she school. school there? Yeah, she went to Life University for a dietetics internship. Oh, wow. So okay, okay. when she went there, um, that's really cool. Yeah, I went and visited her. We both love the city. We both love the things you could do. Uh, you get all four seasons there. One of the things we really enjoy doing is hiking. We can do that yeah. there. And uh-huh. um, the housing market's dirt cheap and the business market's booming. So yes. for me with a business, if I could take my business there once it grows enough here and start expanding, I think that's a hell of a start, uh, especially with the amount of people you have there. Um, and what's crazy even though we're talking about getting away from home, there's still a lot of New Orleans folks there who moved from Katrina. So, yeah, um, I mean, it's it's a big it's it's a big city with a lot to offer. Absolutely, that's, that's why I chose New York. That's exactly why I chose yeah. New York. Yeah, and I think Atlanta's a little bit more slowed down, obviously, than New York. New York, next to LA, is probably two of the fastest cities in the U.S. Um, I lived in Cali for a while too. <laughs> yeah, you were in uh, San Diego, huh? Uh, no, I was in the armpit of America, otherwise known as 29 Palms, California. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. So you've heard of Joshua Tree, right? We're yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're down the street from there. Like, okay. people don't know about us because they get too high. They can't pass Joshua Tree. Yeah. And they just go back home. But yeah, we're pretty much, I used to live on a thousand square miles of desert. Wow. Yeah. And, in fact, uh, just a real seg- quick segue, I... I spent 13 months total in Afghanistan and five years total in this desert living there. But they looked so similar that we used to think <laughs> that they would just go up and fly in a circle and land us in like this random place where people just wanted to shoot us. Like it was just a legal place to be shot, you know. But Jesus. Yeah, anyway, but, um, back, to, back to what you were saying. No, so Atlanta, uh, I think, just takes the cake for one because it's a very real possibility. Um, Orlando is another one, another bigger but slower city. And, of course, it's next to our favorite place on Earth. Uh, that is Disney World. So Disney World, Let's yeah. go. Um, Boston is actually high up there. I visited Boston for my bachelor party. Fucking fell in love with that city, dude. I love I, the people there. I just went there. to Boston. Dude, I love the people there. The people in Boston... One of the things I heard from everyone was they're rude, they're obnoxious, they're assholes. And I tell everyone that I talk about Boston with, they're not assholes, they're just blunt. They tell it like it is and they don't sugarcoat. If you want to know the story, there's going to be 67 F-bombs dropped in that story. You want to talk about somebody (laughs) over there? There's going to be 67 F-bombs dropped when they're talking about that person. They're just honest. I love that. Yeah. So Boston, I think, would would rank number three. 
Number four, although I have never been, it is a place I want to visit, and I actually have a really good friend who's working for a brewery up there, but Seattle. Um, I was, yeah, Seattle. It's everything I've read about it and everything I've heard about it from people who I know that live there say it's fantastic. And then fifth on the list, I'm going to, hmm, fifth. My buddy actually lives in Philly, and he said he fucking loves it. So I, I don't know that it would be Philly, but I I think it would have to probably be somewhere in the Northeast. I, I mean, that's, that's a fifth anyway. You know, like, are you gonna make? Are you gonna make it down to the fifth city? Maybe not. But. Yeah. <laughs> so. And you can always sing the Fresh Prince of Bel Air song. Right. Absolutely, man. Who doesn't love that? So. Yeah, I uh, I think those would be the five, but. You know, with with you living in New York, we were talking about this before we got on the air here, and I I need you to tell the fucking rat story for when you yeah. first moved there. Go. Yeah. I'll t- <laughs> so actually, the rat story is essentially how I got to New York, right? I was working in the oil field down in Texas for a while. And then in 2014, there was that big oil crisis. Uh, So I knew I had to get out, but I already knew I wanted to go to New York. So I got everything arranged. I applied to Fordham University up here, but everything was in line except my house. Where was I going to live? You need a place to live when you get here. So I go and stay at home. I quit my job at the oil field, go stay at home in Destrehan for about a month. And I try to really get my ducks in a row. So I go to the most... Uh, secure website for finding homes, Craigslist, right? <laughs> and and I start just looking. And this is how you know I'm not from New York. And anyone that's from New York is already probably like, oh, what? You can't do that because that's a big scam central sort of uh, here in New York City. So anyway, I found a guy. He was willing to sublease uh, a room to me, as he put it, a room to me. Uh, for $800 a month with an $800 deposit. So that's $1,600 in total. And at this time, I really only had about $4,000 in cash in my pocket. So it was a little tight on the budget, but I was like, look, this is what I want to do. I've already been accepted to school. I end up flying to New York, uh, and I get to this place, and I met the guy. I met him in person, and he was a nice enough guy. Honestly, I didn't care. I just needed a place that, like, put my shit right and we finally get to his building which was in a really nice part of town you're probably not familiar with new york but it was on what we call 86th in central park so i was steps away from central park which is one of the most beautiful places in new york city and it was great so but as i was walking in the first thing i was hit as i walked into the building itself was this aroma of it was just piss like it was just gross it smelled like uh like those i mean what i would imagine those old barrels that sailors peed in to let their pee turn to ammonia like that's what it smelled like it was Mm. awful yeah so we walk in and the first thing i see is not much because none of the lights are working right i look to my right the stove is covered in like books and random knickknacks uh there's this huge parrot cage that's in the middle of his living room and it's just like 
got a hole in it and I can see like dried bird droppings on the side. Like that's really gross. But then there was also a third dude that was living there. He was uh, actually a Russian guy that had overstayed his visa. And the only reason why he was staying is because the guy that owned the apartment was basically getting free money out of him. And for those of you that don't know this, subletting in New York without a contract is actually illegal. But, you know, I had to do what I had to do. Um, so I, I'm there and a week goes by and I'm kind of surviving. And it's it's okay because they, he has this little private patio in the back. And I can go hang out. But I'm starting to notice there are little things going on. And well, these little things being rats just running around everywhere. But I haven't really seen any in bad places. Like they were usually outside. Well, I woke up one day and it was about day, I think it was actually day seven that I was there. Uh, I'm in my little loft bed, which I'll kind of spare the details on that, but that's all I had. It was a loft bed and a dresser uh, to sleep in. And the loft bed was next to a window, and that window led out to that patio. And when I woke up and looked to my right, there were just three rats sitting there, like just chilling. Like they were hanging out. They weren't scared of anything. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, welcome to New York, I guess. But they were outside, right? So it's cool, I guess. Then I hopped down because I'm act- I was actually at the time starting school in about a week from there. So I had to actually get some things together. And this is the first time I'd actually ever been to real college. So, you know, I'm pumped. But as I'm, like, doing this, my whole mood is just being taken down because I hear this scuffle going on in the wall, which turned out to be two rats, like, murdering each other. Um and then it went on for about two or three minutes. And then I hear this one rat like literally scream in agony. And it just like, Aah! and it just died. Like it literally, like, it, I don't know. It sounded like a squeaky toy that stopped squeaking after a while, but like way worse. <laughs> and then I was just like, all right, I got to get out of here. So after, you know, hearing a rat murdered in the wall, I got back on Craigslist and I found another place to live. And I got out of there. And that next place, it's, it's a whole story in its own right, but we can save that for another time. But yeah, that's pretty much the rat story. I, my first place in New York lasted for a week because I heard a rat murder another rat. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's rough, man. Do you know my, f- my first memory of New York? No. I, I don't know uh, if I ever told you this one. So we go... Like I said, we go to New York for for a conference for Anytime Fitness. Mm-hmm. Well, we go. We were actually in Lake Placid for the conference, so I'm on a three four day binger at this point, and it's the last day we spent. We spent two days in in New York City after the conference. I wake up that morning and I am on my deathbed. You can ask my buddy Andrew this. We were at. We were at breakfast that morning, and I went and disappeared in the bathroom. I fell asleep on the fucking toilet in the bathroom of this restaurant <laughs> because I just couldn't do it. I like my body felt like it was just shutting down on me. Well, oh, man. we they want to go to Central Park, so now great, I gotta walk around in the fucking heat. Um, and he, and for the record, heat over there wasn't that hot, but hot enough to where it sucks if you're hungover. Oh, it still sucks. It still sucks. Yeah. So we're walking around Central Park, and here we go again. I got to go to the bathroom again. 
and Central Park bathrooms, not exactly great. Well, oh, oh, oh no. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm talking about. So I go into yeah. the Central Park bathroom. I got to do what I got to do. So sit down on the toilet, and one of the things that Central Park has plenty of is bombs and homeless people. Well, yeah. here comes fucking homeless Joe walking in, mumbling sweet nothings to himself, sounds really angry with something or someone or whatever. I'm sitting on the toilet, and he goes into the stall next to me. I'm just being quiet as can be. I'm I'm not talking. I'm not saying anything. I don't want to get stabbed by this guy. Well, he starts pissing. I don't hear a single drop hit the water. And as I that's happening, all of a sudden, the stream starts going underneath my stall and just starts pelting me in the feet with this dude's piss. I got peed on by a fucking bum in Central Park. And because I'm on my deathbed, I'm just like, whatever. I'm dying anyway, so I guess hepatitis is coming with it now. So, dude, oh man, it was the wor- one of the worst days of my life, but even while it was happening, I wasn't even really that mad. I'm just sitting there kind of chuckling like, what the fuck is going on here? And then it gets even funnier because as I'm walking around the park, it all started to make sense because about five minutes later, I don't know if it was the same guy because I didn't see his face. I waited a long time before I actually got up and left the stall, but I see a I see a homeless guy screaming at the top of his lungs at some duck because the duck stole something from him, and I'm just like, bruh, you're yelling at a fucking duck, like, okay, maybe getting peed on wasn't that bad, I could be that guy right now, so, dude, it was, oh, it was a wild fucking day. You've highlighted something that New Yorkers or people that frequent New York sort of adopt. And that's, it's called the New York quota, so to say. And New York is really great until it's not. And then that's when it's time to go and not come back for another year or so. <laughs> um, and it sounds like you really, you met that quota on your first time. So Yeah. It only took a day and a half for me to get pissed on by a bum. Dude, that's awful. But I, I like I would I hate to say that I'm not surprised. <laughs> I really do. Like I Dude, it's one of I've those things so though. Things. That's a great story that I'm gonna remember for the rest of my life. So if I got anything out of it, I'll take it, man. I take what I can get. Dude, that's such a good story. I mean it's not a fantastic story, but it's a good story to Absolutely. tell. I mean, Absolutely. A new, it's such a New York story. Yeah. I, so Yeah. But no, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, do you have anything you want to say before we go ahead and get out of here? Uh, yeah, I mean, please check us out. Uh, Hugh is a great company. HugScience.com is how I'm going to say it so people can understand it. H-U-G-G-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. Check us out. Sign up for the beta. Let us know if you're interested. We're not in your area yet, but we probably will be. So... But other than that, yeah, man, you know, keep on keeping on, and uh, I'd love to come back again if you have the time. Oh, definitely, for sure, man. I appreciate you coming on, dude.
Yeah, take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at hotardhuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle.